If I stand the goddess of desire, set men on fire, I have this power. Morning, noon, and night, it's wink and dancing, some quick romancing, and then a shower. Stage for Johnny's constantly surround me, they always hound me with one request. Who can satisfy their lustful habit? I'm not a rabbit. I need some rest. I'm tired, sick, and tired of love. I've had my fill of love. From below and above Tired Tired of being admired Tired of love uninspired Let's face it, I'm tired Soon, fighters, I'm tired, tired of playing the game, thinking of crying shame. I'm so tired. God damn it, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Hello, cowboy. What's your name? Tax man. Tax man. Tell me, tax man, are you in show business? No. Well, then why don't you get your friggin' feet off? Hello, handsome. Is that a ten-gallon hat? Or are you just enjoying the show? Welcome back to Napalm and Friends. And this week I am accompanied with a bombshell who organized the longest running burlesque show in Los Angeles, Lily Von Stuck. 
And thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time. I know you were a little hesitant, but I am just like blown away and I, I am honored and I am humbled that you are here with me today. So thank you. You're welcome. I feel the same way. I absolutely love what you do. And I think anytime women can support other women in the arts, we should do that. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, thank you. And uh, I do want to dive into your legacy and burlesque. But before we get into that, how did you find burlesque? And, you know, how did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Um, well, like most girls who didn't fit in and didn't understand what or where their place in the world was because they had big boobs at a young age and uh, no real boundaries at home and not really knew what to do with themselves, um, I kind of wandered into the world of what wasn't popular culture. And wh what really happened for me was when I was about eight years old, I found one of my dad's Playboys. And I opened that up and I looked at it and I was like, these women are beautiful. They're just like naked and standing by a tree. And here they are with a pretty necklace on and a tiara. And it just, it seemed so natural and so positive to me that I was like, this is amazing. And then I would like go to my uncles in Iowa and I would like steal what were called, um, playbills or flyers from burlesque shows, not knowing what they were. There were just pretty women on them. And I was like, oh, pretty, you know? And I, I kind of fell into that, eventually found Betty Page, fell into the underground of that whole community, and then realized that um, when I was watching Gypsy Rose Lee on the couch with my mom at 12 years old, I was watching strippers. And it kind of all fell into place for me when I was about 14, maybe 15, that all of this was the same thing. And it was all the women that weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And that's really how I fell in love with it. I fell into performing. Fast forward many, many years, I moved out to LA with my ex-husband and he sent me a Craigslist that said, learn to do burlesque. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? And he's like, yeah, we'll talk about it on the radio show. And I'm like, I am not, I am 37 years old. I am not going to start stripping at 37. But I went and took the classes and I fell in love with it. And I found this great community of misfits that were pretty much starting the neo burlesque community in 2004. There were a couple little conventions and shows happening all over. And, and just the next thing I knew, I was on stage taking my clothes off in front of a bunch of people at the Derby. And I just went, this is the greatest thing on earth. I had always wanted to be an actor, but never really pursued it because I was like, I think I'd end up being a waiter. I'm not that talented. And so I just never went for it. And at 37, I was like, I have more confidence than good sense. So let's do this. And it was it was an amazing experience. And some of my best friends I found through burlesque. Oh, that's amazing. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm <laughs> all with you. So I feel kind of like, oh, I just want to do like sit back and just like hear you talk. But like, what was, you said that your first performance was at the Derby, correct? Yeah. Um, what was, you said that you were just like nervous or like what? Exactly oh, I was petrified. I was petrified. I, I described it once and I made myself laugh really hard because I, I do comedy too. And I said, to be 37 years old and take your clothes off in a town filled with infants with implants has to be one of the ballsiest things you could ever do. Because literally I got up on stage and my, my tassels twirled, but my boobs flapped. I mean, you know, I have large boobs. And so to be on stage around all of these other women who were at least 10 years my younger, if not more, and, you know, most of them were actual strippers. So they had real hard bodies. Some of them were fuller, zoftic, like um, uh, Mae West kind of look. Everybody had found this, this look for themselves in the beginning based on the only things that we really had for reference, which was, you know, the old something weird tapes of Teaserama and pictures and stag reels. And that was really all we had. And then, you know, we found Exotic World and there was just this treasure trove of decades of history there. And you're like, wow, there were big girls in burlesque. Wow, there were women of color in burlesque. Wow, there was... And it just, it kept, it was this onion that just kept opening. And every time I would find another layer of burlesque, I would cry more. Not because my eyes were stinging, because I was like, this is just a history of women who were like, F the establishment. I'm not going to be a secretary or get married. I'm going to go on the road and take my clothes off and make money. And it was just, it was fascinating to me. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really cool to all of a sudden be a part of that and be a piece of that. And then to meet the legends that I had hanging on my walls. 
I went to Dixie Ovens and Tempest Storm's birthday parties. My my personal mentor, Satan's Angel, passed away a couple of years ago, but I got to take classes with her. All of all of these legends that were still alive, I had the opportunity to meet. And it was just amazing to go. These are the women who beat down the path with their glittery heels and we're walking in it. And I'm sitting here next to them. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. That's beautiful. And I it I do want to bring up what we mentioned before we started recording as far as like being sex positive and just kind of really celebrating the female body and like reclaiming our body by saying no, we refuse to fit in the mold and kind of like, I guess, kind of worship each other to a degree. Um, There's a lot of that in burlesque. There's a lot of loving everything and everyone. Um, The Burlesque Hall of Fame, which used to be Exotic World, has a great history. If you get a chance, go look it up. It's called the Burlesque Hall of Fame. They have a museum in Las Vegas. It used to be out in Hellendale. Um, Our history is rich in everything. You know, you think that like everybody's always like, oh, everyone's transitioning right now. It's hip, it's whatever. I'm like, the amount of of um, people in burlesque that were born one sex and danced on stage in another is an incredibly large amount of people. The the stories that they're writing and the lifetime that they're telling is absolutely fabulous right now. And it's weird because so much of it was buried, we didn't know it existed. But, but we are now here celebrating it on stage rather than hiding it because a lot of the performers that weren't born women would hide that fact because back then you could get beat up and thrown out of a club, you know? So now it is definitely a lot more positive and it's certainly more positive because a lot of the women performers are also the producers here. So we've got a lot of the power as well as the empowerment of being on stage as ourselves and celebrating our bodies. That's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, I do want to bring up, I see that your background is of you (laughs) and, you know, your... How would I put it? Like, I don't want to say costume. They're my burlesque costumes. They are. Uh, And then you also have a deck of cards on top of that. I do. Yeah. Burlesque and magic. And we'll get into your magic in a few. Like, what is the process of like collecting all of all of your wardrobe? For me personally, it started out like a lot of us did where we would go to, you know, downtown L.A. or wherever your fashion district or your material district was. And you'd buy a lot of crystals and trims and you'd kind of hot glue stuff together in the beginning. Um, But now for me, a lot of my stuff is custom made. Um, One of the costumes that I'm wearing in the burlesque deck was actually originally owned by Kitten Natividad and she performed in it. And I bought it from her at one of her festivals and immortalized my in it in the deck and now it is at a, in a museum in Boston. Um, the other costume that I had in the deck is made by Catherine Delish who does a lot of the costuming for Dita Von Tees and for herself and tours and she has these incredible robes that we all joke are the kind of robes that you would wear when you're a widow after you've murdered your rich husband. Um, you know, so they're these long flowing gowns. I got mine as leopard print because that's kind of who, who I am as opposed to like glossy, um, you know, I'm more of like a big shouldered broad than a classic beauty. And so that's always where I've gone. I've gone for like the 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 May Lust, the Sophie Tucker, the Bette Midler kind of look, just, you know, big busty loud mouth kind of performer. A lot of them I've made myself. We did a lot of like, we did the Muppet Show. We did a Quentin Tarantino burlesque film festival um, where we did all acts from Quentin Tarantino films. And all of those pretty much were custom made as well at this point. So it's a lot of sourcing materials and people that can make stuff to fit you. Um, and that, I mean, that's how I do it. I, you know, everybody can do it a little bit different. I have friends who are like, I have more money than I have time and they'll find a nice costumer to make something custom fit for them as well. There's no right or wrong in costuming in burlesque. I have seen performers like Julia Atlas Muse walk on stage wearing nothing but glitter on her nipples, a G-string and a giant balloon a la... Um, Sally Rand and she does an incredible tribute to Sally Rand and she ends up getting into the balloon and popping it and her costume is literally glitter you know others it's layers and layers and layers of feathers and boas and all of that and there's there's just so many resources now for costuming that weren't there in 2004. So I mean I guess in the end ultimately it's a labor of love and they're just a passion and a drive to create and to perform. The Uh, thing that draws most to burlesque is that it is completely DIY from start to finish. You're your editor, your costumer, your makeup artist, your designer, all of that is you. You get to tell the story you want to tell. 
Ooh, I like that. <laughs> um, so I do want to ask, like, what has been your favorite costume and what has been your most memorable performance? I have um, what I consider as my signature act. I grew up in Florida predominantly, um, and I would go to the circus every year for my birthday. I wanted to be a showgirl, but I was top heavy and clumsy. And I was like, I'm never going to be an aerialist. I would literally fall over every five minutes. So I created an act that is an homage to burlesque and circus. I am uh, Lily Von Stupp and her fabulous pink poodles. And I found these eight mechanical pink poodle dogs. And while I present them and have them try to do their tricks, which they can't do because literally they walk forward, walk backwards and bark. Um, my clothes fall off. So it's an accidental strip as opposed to an intentional strip and it has a circus flair to it. And it, it to me is one of my favorite pieces because it's done to um, Pop Goes the Weasel of all songs, which who thinks of stripping and Pop Goes the Weasel? So for me, that is one of my favorite things. It is it is one of my acts that I just go, if, if, if I am remembered for nothing, remember me for that act because the thought, the effort and the intention that was put in to work with mechanical dogs which never do what you want them to do um to me it was it was probably the greatest piece i've ever created well my father says you're nifty and you've heard of baudelaire and we both agree that human rights abuses are unfair you understand your feelings and you're not afraid to share and i think i could do something with your hair you smell nice and you're groovy and we both like foreign movies my mother says you have that touch of class well i can see a shining future where we'll dialogue and nurture but, but there's, there's one, one last thing i feel i need to ask do you take it in the ass do you take it in the
Everybody knows the boat is sinking. Everybody knows that the captain lied. Everybody's got this broken feeling. Like the mama or the dog just died. Everybody's hands are in their pockets. Everybody wants a box of chocolates and a long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody President. But we were suffering until some 
song pop goes a weasel and i think just as important is the song choice and then again going back to what we were talking about before we started recording one of the songs in your playlist is take it up the ass do you take it in the ass oh do yeah. you take it in the ass i'm sorry do you take it in the ass yeah and then there's a bit of a story behind that and i really enjoyed the the story and the bit of history and like i mean if you can elaborate absolutely I teach burlesque as well. And one of the things that my mentor, uh, Satan's Angel, told me is, you know, burlesque is about the journey, not the destination. And so when you're when you're picking your music, you have to find something that's going to take you from where you want to start to where you want to end and how you're going to bring that audience with you. And it can be seducing them, making them laugh, challenging their intelligence, whatever. One of the groups that I ran into in in the burlesque circus is a group called The Wet Spots, and they're out of Canada. And they do this particular song, which is all about sex positivity and getting to know someone and falling in love with them. And that's the big question they ask is, do you take it in the ass? And it's a song that I loved and stuck with me so much because I felt it is the consent that we give the audience to see us naked and the consent that we ask from them to go on this journey with us and be surprised and delighted and sometimes shocked and maybe even offended sometimes because burlesque also has comedy in it. And and this song just brings so much of that together and it played at the end of intermission at Monday Night Tease, right when we were coming back to start the second half of the show from the very first show I produced to the very last show. So it's something that is is just tied and connected to both me and everything that I love about about relationships and interacting with people in general. Oh God, I mean, there's so many beautiful layers to your performances and there's so many of them at that because as you mentioned, it's like you also like produce, perform and you do so much. Um, I do want to touch upon the show or the longest running show of Burlesque in Los Angeles. What was the process like managing, you said about like 700 different acts or? It was insane. I didn't intend on becoming a producer of a burlesque show. I worked with the person who originally taught me and this was her show. And when she left town, she was looking for someone to take it over. I and another person ended up doing that. And eventually it ended up my solo show. It is a gift and a curse to try to produce a weekly show. We had eight performances every week and we tried to make sure that there's a, a variation in that show at all times. My philosophy of a show is is a real good flow of performance and we would have variety in there as well. Um, I worked with over 700 performers from all over the world that when they would come through LA would be kind enough to do my show. Um, it was fascinating. I have friends from Japan who came. I've had five burlesque legends perform on that stage. Magicians from all over the world have performed on the stage. I mean, Rudy Kobe came and performed with me. He's toured with Marilyn Manson. We've had, you know, 
uh, Frank Olivier. I've had local magicians like John Armstrong, who's incredible. All of these people would come in and perform with all of these amazing performers from, you know, uh, Kitten DeVille, Dixie, um, not Dixie, Dizzy Von Dam, um, my, my best friend, Carmel Knowledge. And just every week we would create lightning in a bottle by going, these eight acts are gonna come together and do this. And once a month we did a themed show as well from Lily's Laugh-In, which was my celebration show for my birthday to the Muppet show. For You've had Funny Eddie on for his birthday. We did a take of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and even had Vogon poetry happening within this. And through the whole thing, it was always, how do we present this in a positive way of human sexuality, male, female, or other? Um, how do we bring an audience in and make them fall in love? I always made sure there was someone in the show for everybody. You know, it was really important to have diversity in the show of style and human characteristics. Um, so it was just, it was incredible to be able to work with all of these people and call them friends. And it got me touring all over the country as well. That's beautiful. And I think you're just like, you have this natural stage presence and you're magnetic. And it's just, I mean, I don't know. I, I know I just met you, but I, I feel like I can just like talk to you for hours and I want to talk to you for hours. <laughs> um, but you also, along with burlesque, you also do magic. So it's like being on stage is just so natural to you. So, I mean, how did you pick up mag magic? Sorry. Um, well, when I was a kid, like most people, I was like, that's awesome. I want to do that. I mean, I would take radios apart and put them back together just to see how they worked. Most of the time they would work afterwards. Not always. But but I saw like um, Mark Wilson's As Seen on TV. He's a very famous magician. Later in life, again, I'm now a member of the Magic Castle and I've had the pleasure of, or a member of the Academy of Magical Arts, I should say. I've had the pleasure of meeting Mark. I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of my heroes from when I was a child, having never known that would happen, which again, meet your heroes every time you can, even if they disappoint you because you learn something. I think it's really important to experience things. So I, you know, got my first as seen on TV magic kit and opened it up. And I was like, this is all broken. None of this is magic. And it was a real eye opener to go, oh, wait, it's not actually magic. And that kind of clicked with me. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not really a top hat and tails kind of girl, you know? So, so I only went so far with it at that time until I want to say it was 85, 86. I saw Penn and Teller on Saturday Night Live. And that's when I went, oh, weirdos do magic too. Cool. You know, they came on and they did a, 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 a Houdini water tank escape in which that doesn't actually happen. And it was cool that it didn't. And it was funny and surprising and comedy magic and then amazing Jonathan seeing him, I was like, oh my, this is this is really cool. And I was like, okay, those are things that I kind of want to incorporate in stuff. I think anybody that can learn one simple magic trick can pretty much entertain and, and make someone feel comfortable with you almost immediately because it sparks joy and makes memories, which is something Eddie always says too. I don't know if, he's, if he said that to you when you talk to him, but making memories is, is what's important. Growing up in the circus, going to the circus every year for my birthday, you know, all of these things were entertainment based to make people happy. And again, that's all entertainment is, is making people happy. So I started doing magic and then kind of wandered away from it. And then when I met Eddie about 11 years ago, he said, I'm a member of the Academy of Magical Arts. And I said, you are, I've been there once, it's amazing. And the next thing I know, I'm now exposed to all of these people and I see people like me doing magic now. I see women doing magic. They're not just the box jumper or the assistant. So that's how I got into it. Oh my God, I love that. I, I love your journey and I love your just artistic stage <laughs> presence and I love it all. Um, so then kind of going again with magic and burlesque, you did come out with this um, like burlesque card deck. Yes, it's, it's called the burlesque deck. So yeah. I mean, it seemed like the natural progression as far as like your history with performing and it's like they're beautifully illustrated or like with photographs of performers. If you I'm lucky I know a lot of talented people. Again, you don't have to be the best in the world if you surround yourself with other people who have skill sets that you don't because that's how you come together to create magical stuff. Nobody really has the ability to do it all, but if you understand enough about it, you can find the people to work with to create amazing projects. 
With this, I had collect girly cards, you know, the old stripper decks that they had. There's a great book out there. I think it's called Stacked, which is the history of, of essentially girly cards. And I always wanted to do a deck. I was like, this would be so much fun to do it. And I work with a photographer named C.D. Summers, who um, had come to the show a couple times, had come to when we used to do uh, Dr. Sketchies, he would draw. And I was like, I really want to do a deck. And this is what and I talked to a couple of photographers and nobody really got what I wanted. I wanted like that 1940s, 50s pinup. And because cards are so small, you can only so show so much detail. So we worked together, shot a couple and I ended up shooting 26 girls. And then I said, well, 26 humans. I, I want to correct that. I have a, I have um, a drag queen and a drag king in the deck. But I, I wanted to shoot a deck that also had some magic in it. So I sat down with some of my magician friends and I'm like, you know, I don't want to give away too many magic secrets, but there's a thing called a stripper deck. There are hidden magic tricks within this deck. And then we built an entire magic set filled with gaffes so that you could take this deck of card of cards and do magic. You can make women's clothes disappear. You can make women disappear in the deck. You can have women help you make things appear in the deck. There's a lot of classic card tricks that can be done specifically with this deck in the way we designed it. And so it was my way of, of saying to my friends who loved magic and used to go to the magic castle with me every Tuesday night after the Monday night show, we'd all go up there and have drinks and see a couple magic shows. And it was my way to say, do you want to come in and do magic with us? Because now you have 52 cards that are assistants to do magic with you. And if nothing else, you can sit home and play with the girls playing solitaire, you know? So it was it was just a great way to create a project that, again, paid homage to the history of, of stripper decks, the girly decks, and brought in the magic as well. So there's definitely a love, I mean, with, besides your performances, but also at the core of who you are, there's this love of like, the people on the outskirts of society and like history and digging up all this really long forgotten history. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, like what, what's, sparked that fascination outside of like burlesque um, as far as like digging through history? Um, a quest for knowledge, a quest for more than than just being me. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I grew up in the I was born in 66. I'm very open about the fact that I'm 56 years old. You know, women couldn't have credit cards until the late 70s. My mother didn't have access to abortion until what, seven years after I was born? You know, um, there was a lot of limitations on what women are allowed to do or are expected to do. And I am one that constantly goes, why, why is it different for some people than it is for others? And so for me, it's always the, it had to be there. I didn't invent this. So what is the history of this and who are these women and what were they doing and how did they end up where they were? You know, some of the, the history of burlesque is really sad when you would hear women talk about what it was like when they would be, you know, walking the runway in this $5,000 gown in the 1940s and you look down and they're like, and all the newspapers are bouncing up and down on the men's laps. You know, and they're like, and you're like, I'm creating art here, you know? And again, you know, when your options were getting married or becoming a stripper, people always would look at it as like she was down and out and had to become a stripper. And it's like, there was a very classist situation in all of this and not a whole lot has changed. I mean, people always say to me, what's the difference between burlesque and stripping? And I'm like, the type of commerce that's involved, that's about it. I mean, in a strip club, it's more one-on-one -on -one, or it's a preview and a sale. And in burlesque, it's a, and so it's like, all right, if I want people to come enjoy this art form that I think is fascinating, what do I need to know to be able to bring them in and have them be a part of this project? Cause I don't look at, you know, I don't, I don't have fans. I have friends of what I do. And, and that's kind of how I look at everything. It's a collaboration between myself, the people on the stage, and the audience. Historically, there has to be a reason that people went to burlesque shows. How do we find that and make them celebrate that art form again and hopefully be able to pay the rent? You know, so, so that's really my whole thing is how does it work? Why and how can it be better and a more wonderful experience for people? Did I, did I answer that question? No, you did, and then some. Um... So I definitely do appreciate that insight. And then it's so interesting that you say that, like, you know, it's 
you don't have fans, you have friends. And that's something that I definitely relate to the shack where it's like, I don't have fans. I have people who message me and I'm like, <laughs> I joke and I say this shack is a thinly veiled attempt at, at like forcing people to be my friend. <laughs> it's kind of like that box with a stick and a string where it's like, oh, I get, like, I got you guys. Like, now how do I get you to stay type of deal? Like, how can I make this engaging? And like, because you, I know for me personally, it's like, I want, people to hear the music that I enjoy or, you know, to like, oh, like I excitingly like pull up some history where I'm like, hey, you know, like this is what I found. And, you know, someone else has an idea, like I'll listen to that and see if I can implement that. So with everything that you said, like, I just got really excited where I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm not alone, you know, like no. there's other people who see it just like that. No, I, I, and again, I mean, you collaborate with every person that you have on this show in advancing music, music history, and opening people's eyes to stuff that they never heard. The songs that I, I'll talk about it, the songs that I picked for this show are very much me in this moment in how I see myself. Not necessarily the music that I'm listening to right at the moment or the most, but is the music that is the most meaningful in where I am in the world right now. And with going through the possibility of losing Roe v. Wade, um, a lot of the music that I consciously chose for this is female-based. Because I'm like, that's a voice that needs to be spoken, including humans who can have babies with uteruses. I'm not excluding them. For me personally, these are female voices that I chose that are strong because I relate very much to those. And a lot of them are from before, during my career in burlesque and stuff that is current that I that I really find interesting. And, and it is the best thing you can do is share with people. It's why we used to make cassette tapes that we taped off the radio and gave to our friends. If somebody ever made a mixtape for you, they loved you. I mean, that is not an easy thing to do when you're taping it off the radio and then editing it from one cassette player into another. I mean, now I can sit down and I did radio so I can audio edit anything. I can put a studio together now. But back then, man, you were taping it off the radio. And it's, it really is that come share with me. People used to say to me that the thing that they loved about Monday Night Tees is I was at the door to greet them and I was there to say goodbye. Um, I was sweeping up and moving the chairs at the end of the show too. And you all got to come to my house and hang out with me and my friends. And you chipped in to make the whole party happen. That's really how I looked at Monday Night Tees. If I had looked at it to make money only, it wouldn't have been the same thing. It wouldn't have been a home to so many burlesque dancers in LA and across the country. And it wouldn't have launched the Hollywood Burlesque Festival and it wouldn't have launched the Burlesque Deck and it wouldn't have launched any of the other myriad of things that I've done that are entertainment related. Well, that's beautiful. I mean, you definitely created a home for like the wayward misfit. Um, that is my school name, by the way. It's Lily School for Wayward Girls. <laughs> and now end boys. Say, I uh, you do have a website with a deck of cards and your classes on top of that. Um, I have a Patreon, which is really where you can find anything about me. And if that's okay, go to votelily.com. And that, again, is that whole get out and, and be a voice of something you believe in kind of attitude, which is why I chose that website. <laughs> but that has a link to that, which has all the other links. Oh, okay, perfect. I will be adding it to the, the bio to this episode. So whoever's listening, go check it out. And just, like, I just want to keep picking your brain. Um, so with that being said, as far as like you having a class, as we mentioned uh, before, this is a question that I ask just across the board. If you had to build a class curriculum, what book, film and album would be in the class syllabus? So if I'm teaching burlesque specifically, I'm going to say grab the burlesque handbook by Joe Weldon. Um, if I were to write a book on how to put an act together, that would be it. There is a lot in that book that is the same way that I think about pulling together stuff. It'll even work for you if you're if you're a magician, if you're a juggler, if you're whatever, because an act has to have a beginning, a middle and an end. And it has to have a thought to it and a point to it and a catharsis for either you as the performer or the audience member. That book is a really good solid basis of all of the things of music and and storyline and dance and and, you know, castle twirling and all of those things together in it. Film. I'm going to go for um, What's Opera Doc by Bugs Bunny. Um, and the reason I say that is it brings it brings culture with an opera to it 
and it brings the hilarity of cartoons to it and it brings Bugs Bunny and drag to it and it allows you to experience everything without feeling intimidated by it and it allows you to see why one thing works running into another it's just a, a, a very well put together piece and in burlesque you find inspiration everywhere I mean we did the film festival we did the Muppet shows which was a burlesque show if, if you don't know that um lastly album that's a hard one. That's a really hard one. And I and I think the reason why I can't tell you there's one specific album that you should listen to, I'm going to say find the the album that means the most to you and then figure out how to work with it. Because when you're creating art, just like in a movie, if you don't have that <laughs> You don't realize how scary that shower scene is. If you don't have a classical piece that flows through where your story comes through, you don't really have a story you're telling. If you're dancing just to the words of a lyrics, somebody else already wrote your story for you. So for me, you've got to find the music that speaks to you the most and helps you tell the story you want to tell. I wish I could say there's one album, you know, I, I don't think there really is. Oh, that's fair. I mean, there's there is just such a wide variety, and it's so hard to pick. I mean, like I know if my listeners don't know already, which I would be shocked. Uh, the guests always pick eight songs, and like picking eight songs alone is already hard. So picking one album is definitely harder. Um, Especially when you hear my eight songs, you'll be like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
stopped to play And she said, Mama got a note here from the Harper Valley PTA Surprise when Mrs. Johnson wore her mini skirt into the room. And as she walked up to the blackboard, I can still recall the words she had to say. She said, I'd like to address this meeting of the Harper Valley PTA. seems to use a lot of ice whenever he's away and mr baker can you tell us why your secretary had to leave this town and shouldn't Whitta jones be told to keep her window shades off we'll completely down of gin And then you have the nerve to tell me you think that as a mother I'm not fit Well this is just a little Peyton place and you're all Harper Valley hypocrites No I wouldn't put you on because it really did it happened just this way The day my mama socked it to
So I don't have any other questions for you other than what advice do you have for budding artists? It's the same advice I have for anybody in life. Fail. Fail a lot. Because if you don't fail, you never succeed. You got to try. You got to keep doing. I did a I did a burlesque show once that I lost almost $5,000 on. Um, that was better than going to five years of college and spending $150,000. Um, I don't want to do it again, but I learned so much in that one process of trying to guess what people wanted that the $5,000 to me was just the check well spent to, to learn. Um, fail in front of people, do comedy, do whatever, start a podcast, start painting, do whatever it is until you find the thing where you're like, I can't imagine life without this. And then just keep doing it till you get really good at it. Um, and good doesn't have to be successful monetarily. It could just be you make stuff and you give it to your friend at Christmas and they're like, oh my God, you made this and it's absolutely fabulous. How many did you make before you made that one? You know, so fail, fail as much as you can and own it. Don't be afraid. I, I failed a lot. <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, to piggyback off of that, it's like, I couldn't agree more. Like I've had people message me saying, it's like, I want to do what you do. And I mean, there's still a sense of shock where I'm like, I'm running this like pirate radio show podcast with like anxiety, like some coffee and a prayer. And this is what this is running on. And, you know, I tell them it's like, do it. Like, don't wait until you have everything put together. Cause I mean, like you're never gonna start if that's the case. So it's like, just put yourself out there. And then like you said, failing is just part of the process. Can I tell one more quick story? Oh no, please do. Um, I grew up watching John Waters films, someone else who collected weirdos of society and said, go do what you want to do. Um, two years ago, I got to host at Viva Las Vegas with him. I was his co-host and I stood on that stage and I went, if anyone had told little weirdo Lily that she was going to grow up one day and be on a stage standing next to John Waters, um, she'd have said, you're insane. Maybe I'll run into him in a public bathroom, you know, but that's going to be the extent of ever getting to work with him. And and again, even even doing burlesque for the first time or dancing for the first time or acting for the first time and every no I ever got made me just go, well, I may not be able to do it the way they want me to do it, but I might be able to do something. Just keep doing it. I love what you're doing. You make memories and you make people happy and you expose them to things that they didn't know that they didn't know. And that's incredible, you know? I do have to say thank you so much for the kind words and I thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time. I am like beyond giddy to have had this chat with you and to share this on the shack. So thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, and with that being said, tune in until next week, guys. <laughs> <laughs>